It's December, and we're all supposed to have visions of sugar plums dancing in our heads, with the rotund, red-coated Santa promising to deliver toys. This myth can be simply a fun children's bedtime story, but when we allow it to color our view of the God of the universe, we are in trouble. This is Truth Encounter. Christmas is about the birth of a baby in Bethlehem. This birth was predicted 800 years before Jesus was born by the Jewish prophet Micah. We're in the midst of taking a careful look at this prophet's writing so that we can determine what he was saying about the child to be born in Bethlehem. To understand why the child, we need to understand why the sovereign Lord of the universe was so angry at his people. Let's join Dave as he begins our lesson from Micah chapter 1, verse 2, presenting Micah, the prosecuting attorney's case against Israel. The Bible declares that the Lord is the Lord of all the earth. And you can be confident of that. It means that if you've come to know him, if you're relating to him, it means that what he's putting in your heart and the burdens that he's placing in your heart and the concept of right and wrong that he's giving you from his holy word is going to be universally applicable. There's no place you can go where you can escape from the authority of Yahweh. That's what Micah begins his messages. Who is like the Lord? He says that the sovereign Lord may witness against you the Lord from his holy temple. Micah is like a lawyer. You've all gotten into courtrooms and you've all see these lawyers before the court and you've heard them plead their case. And Micah introduces his book saying, I'm going to present a witness. I'm going to present a legal case against my people. And so as we begin reading the book of Micah, to be honest with you, contrary to Reverend Hawkins that I shared with you in the beginning of our talk that's all into positive thinking and God is like a warm, cuddly Santa Claus, as we begin Micah's presentation of the Bethlehem birth, we don't begin with a warm, cuddly Santa like God. In fact, we begin with just the opposite. We begin with a God that a lot of us want to forget about, and this is a God that's the judge of all the earth, and he's saying, I have a case against my people. I'm going to witness against them. And what we have for the next few chapters is we have Micah outlining what the sovereign king of all the universe is uptight about, what he's concerned about. Look what he says. We begin his first statement of the judgment that's coming. Look at verse 3. Look, the Lord is coming. He's coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and he's treads the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt beneath him and the valleys will split apart like wax before the fire, like water running down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression. Because of the sins of the house of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high places? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap of rubble. A place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones down to the valley. And I will lay bare her foundations. All the idols will be broken in pieces. All the temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all of her images since she gathered these gifts from the wages of a prostitute. As the wages of a prostitute, they will again be used. You say, Dave, what in the world is all that about? When I read a prophetic passage like that, I feel like, what in the world is going on? 
This is the bad news. This is Micah's bad news. And it's God's judgment against the people of Israel. And Micah begins with a passage that's threatening the destruction of both Samaria and Jerusalem. This is serious stuff. This is exactly like a prophet that might stood up, for example, in the city of Berlin um, as the Allies were burning across during World War II and the whole city of Berlin is going to be bombed to smithereens and not one single stone of many of the beautiful buildings in that city are going to be laid. That's the kind of thing that Micah is predicting. Micah starts at his ministry speaking to a group of people that are experiencing prosperity and peace. Everything is going really good. Everything is fine. And what he begins to tell them is there is going to come a day when tremendous judgment is going to come against the city of Samaria, against the city of Jerusalem. And I ask the question, why is that? The very first reason, the very first part of Micah's case against his people is there are idols in the sanctuary. One of the major things about, about the worship of God in the Old Testament is that here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And at the center of Israel's temple, there was supposed to be the Ark of the Covenant and then the invisible Yahweh with his Shekinah glory radiating forth from that was supposed to be at the center of all their worship. In the Old Testament culture, it was a very strange thing. Because you couldn't see God. Because you didn't have an image of God. And one of the things that all the nations of the world around Israel had, they all had an image that represented all their God. In fact, they had hundreds of these images. And they would build these images of wood. They would coat them with gold. And then they would put them up in their temples. And then they would pray to these deities. They would cry out to these deities. They would bring their supplication to these deities. Kind of the closest thing, if any of you have ever been in a Buddhist culture, when you go into Buddhist temples and you see all the gold covers Buddhas and you, you see hundreds of thousands of people that are bowing before the Buddha and bringing their slips of paper in prayer to the Buddha you'll have a little bit of a feel of what real-life, honest-to-goodness idolatry was about and what was happening in the 800 years before Christ. And what Micah cries out and says, you have polluted my holy sanctuary. What Israel did is they built all these worship centers all over the northern kingdom, all over the southern kingdom. In fact, on just about every mountain, they built these worship centers. If there was a big oak tree, a big terebinth tree, they would build a little worship centers there, and they would build these idols out of wood, then coat it with gold, and then the people would worship. Micah compares that to the wages of a prostitute. You say, Dave, what in the world is all that going on? Why does he call that the wages of a prostitute? Because what a prostitute does is she takes... What we learn in the book of Revelation, remember when we studied about the prostitute in Revelation chapter 17 and 18? We learned there that there's this woman that's dressed in purple. She's covered with gold. She glitters with diamond. She's drunk with wine and alcohol. And this woman represented the false spirit of just living for the bottom line, of just living for money, of just living for things. What all the idolatry in the ancient world was about, it was about making and bowing down before the idol of materialism. All that it's about is, remember, stupid, it's about the economy. And Micah calls that the wages of a prostitute because what a prostitute does is take what's supposed to be an intimate relationship of loyal love. 
that's based upon a promise where a woman says to a man, I'm going to live with you forever and ever and ever. And a man says to a woman, I'm going to live with you and I'm going to provide for you. And we're going to be exclusively for one another. And then they enjoy the pleasures of sexuality and that covenant relationship. What a prostitute does is grab the pleasure, grab the excitement, and it's all just for a buck. It's all just for money. And one of the things that Mike is going to the heart of is that we as human beings, we as human beings can begin to prostitute our inner life. We can begin to make all of our life. We can be little tiny children. We can be teenagers. And what we begin to do is we begin to live for just the bottom line, for just economic prosperity. Brothers and sisters, that's what was happening in the northern and southern kingdom of Micah's day. And instead of them coming together like to celebrate the feasts of Yahweh, instead of them singing from their hearts because they love God, instead of moms and dads gathering their families together and telling them those stories about the Passover, telling them the mighty stories of Joshua delivering the people and opening the land for them, instead of these moms and dads teaching their kids about the promised Messiah that Yahweh would come, instead the moms and dads have started focusing on just making money, getting ahead in their little schemes of material prosperity, and everything about the family everything about the family, instead of being about spiritual values and real, honest-to-goodness personal relationships, instead of building their life around relationships and friendships and the things that really count, they're just living at this fast-paced, hustle-bustle, get the money, bring it in, and they're worshiping that. They told, this is the meaning of my life. And what Yahweh says about it, I'm going to tear the whole structure down. And he compares the way they're going to tear it down. He said, it's going to be like when a volcano goes off. If you've ever seen the pictures of the big volcanoes going off on Hawaii, and you see the, the explosion and the big plume of smoke goes in the air, and then you see the lava, that fiery red glowing, several thousand degree lava begin to flow down, and you see it flow into the valleys, and it destroys everything in its path. I got news for you. When a volcano goes off, if you're in the vicinity... You don't have a chance. The incredible power that nature has. And Micah compares the thrust of God's judgment to that kind of power. Have you ever been like where I was raised back in New York State? Sometimes when it rained really, really hard, you have these rolling hills. And when it's been dry for a long time and the rain suddenly comes, upriver you'll get tremendous, just incredible floods of water. I'll never forget like in Corning, New York, where they make Corning glass, and a friend of mine lived there, and there's a river that runs right through Corning, New York, and suddenly one day they had a big burst of thunderstorms, and a tremendous wall of water came right down through Corning, New York, and wiped out almost the whole downtown area. When Micah talked to the Israelites and those in the southern kingdom about the judgment of God, he compared it to that kind of a torrent of water. You see, in Israel, where Micah was preaching, it'll be a lot like Texas. It'll be real dry, and the ground will get really, really hard. Like, for example, in the southern region of Judah, the ground will get like cement. And then suddenly you'll have this tremendous flood of water. And you get all this water coming and the ground doesn't absorb it at all. And suddenly you'll have these tremendous torrents. These places are just little streams or dry beds will suddenly become incredible walls of water. In fact, when I've been traveling down by the Dead Sea in a bus, you can see these wadis that come out from the wilderness of Judea where David was fleeing from Saul. 
and you'll see it along the road, beware of a flood water. And I'm thinking like, good night, we're in the driest place on the planet. Who would ever worry about water? And I asked my guide about it one day, and he said, you're not kidding, Dave. Man, we listen to the radio. If there's rain up in Jerusalem, we watch out. Because you can get rain up in Jerusalem. It builds up tremendous amounts of water that comes down through the ravines, and a big bus can be knocked right into the Dead Sea from the force of that water. Micah knew that same kind of destruction that water could bring. And what he says is that these nations and his people that are just worshiping idols, they think that everything is going along really, really well. Micah's saying that the judgment of God is going to come like a tremendous volcano going off. It's going to come like fiery lava coming down off the slope of that mountain. It's going to be like a terrible flood when a ravine has a wall of water just take out everything in its path. In other words, this God that we read about in the Bible is not just a warm, cuddly Santa Claus. One of the things, I, as I've been praying about this Christmas season, I, you know, it's easy for me to relate to Jesus, the humble Savior that's born in Bethlehem. But you know what? You're not going to understand. You're not going to understand why Jesus had to come. You're not going to understand why people like Zechariah and Mary and Elizabeth, why they were yearning for Jesus to come. Because you say, well, Dave, Micah was predicting that this terrible judgment would come, that these beautiful capital cities would be destroyed. Man, you know, I hear people warning about judgment. In our society, people warn that there might be judgment, things might happen really bad. It never happens. Well, I want you to know that Micah started proclaiming in the time period just before the 722 destruction of Samaria, when the Assyrians did come down, and their armies, the Assyrians under Zennacherib and Sargon the Great, the Assyrians came down with their armies, and what they did is they attacked the coastal plain. They came right down through what armies have done down through history. They attacked the whole coastland of, of Israel. And after they took the whole coastland, going all the way down to Egypt, Zennacherib's armies turned up towards Jerusalem. And what we have in the next portion of Scripture, it's a very difficult passage in Micah, we have... Micah describing an army that's moving from the coast to the central highlands. And as they're moving up, as they're moving up towards Jerusalem, Micah declares, it's almost like he's lamenting, it's like he's mourning, because this tremendous army is moving up towards his beloved city, and it's going to crush that city. And that's what's going on at the end of chapter 2. Now, what I want to ask you about is we read about all this, I say like, Where in the world is the hope of salvation in the midst of this? Is there any hope? You know, Micah's predicting there's going to be judgment. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be this terrible, vicious attack of Yahweh God. Is there any hope? I want you to turn to the end of chapter 2. Because right in the middle of all this devastation, and we'll look more next week at some of the accusations that are made, but I want you to look at at the end of chapter 2, and it's verse 12. Micah, right in the middle of predicting all this judgment, he suddenly says, I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king... Their king will pass through before them. Who is their king? The Lord is going to be at their head. I want you to look very carefully as we close at those verses. The judgment predicted did happen to the Israelite people. If you have any Jewish friends, they'll know this history well. 
the Jewish people know that the northern kingdom did fall to the Assyrians. And the city of Samaria, not at that time, but later on during the intertestamental period, the entire city of Samaria was torn down, just like Micah said it would be. In fact, when I go to Israel today, when Mary and I go to visit Israel, all you have at Samaria is a tell, is an archaeological site. And you look at crumbled stones that have fallen down exactly like Micah predicted. Exactly like Micah predicted, Samaria is gone. Also, your Israelite friends will know that in 586, Nebuchadnezzar, the great Babylonian king, came down and Jerusalem was destroyed and the people were taken into captivity. The history of the Jewish people in the Old Testament is that the very judgment of God, where they would be taken by their enemies, they would be taken into captivity. It would be just exactly like an army came in through Texas today and took all of our kids and took them to live way out in China somewhere. That's exactly what happened to the audience that Micah was running to. But in the midst of all this judgment, Micah made a Christmas prediction. Micah predicted that there would come a new day, that after the judgment was passed, that there would be a remnant, there would be a small group of people that would remain committed to Yahweh, or they would turn to Yahweh. They would read what he said in God's holy word. They would allow that revelation to really grip their hearts. And Micah said that an incredibly good thing would happen to them. And this is what he's promising. He's saying in this salvation passage, I will surely gather all of you. And an incredible miracle happened to the Israelites in 536. Cyrus the Persian said, you can now go home. He released them from captivity in Babylon. Something like the fall of the Berlin Wall that Israelites thought might not ever happen. In 536, Cyrus the Persian king said to the children of Israel, you can go back home. And Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, different groups of Israelites started going back home. People started coming back from Egypt where they'd fallen into captivity down in Egypt. And slowly but surely, God began to build up again a strong Jewish people in the former country of Palestine that they'd been exiled from. Now, Micah made a promise to them that when they were gathered, they would be gathered. That's what Micah's promising. He's saying, just like a shepherd, after a wolf has attacked and scattered the sheep, Micah's predicting that he will send forth the shepherd and the shepherd will begin to regather the sheep. He promises that there will be someone who will go before the shepherd and break all the opposition down. That's what he's talking about when it says there's going to come one who will break open the way before thee. The idea that there will be a herald, there will be someone who goes before the Lord, before the king, and he will prepare the way. He'll break down the opposition. And then it makes an incredible promise. Yahweh himself, the great king that produced this terrible devastation, the great creator God, the one who's the Lord of all the earth, this Lord promises that he himself will come and will be a king for his people. During this Christmas season, one of the things you can do is you can read the book of Micah. Now, you have kind of the introduction to it. You have kind of a setting. And you begin to see what Micah was predicting. When Micah comes to Micah 5, Verse 2, and he promises that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Micah is building on these great promises of redemption which God will bring to his people. I close with this. In John 7, you say, well, David, it seems so complicated. In John 7, as Jesus was at the Feast of Tabernacles during his earthly ministries, they got into a big debate. The audience got into a big debate 
with who is Jesus. And one portion of the group in John 7, 41 and following said, oh, he's the prophet. He's the prophet from Deuteronomy that will come. Others said, no, he, he's Elijah. He's the one that's going to break through. He's going to be like John the Baptist that went before. Just like Micah predicted, there would be a prophet that would break through and would prepare the way. He's John the Baptist. And others said, no, I think he's the Messiah. Who else could do the miracles? Look at the miracle Judas is doing. But then the audience said this. A bunch of Jews in Jerusalem said, no, he can't be the Messiah. And we say, why not? Because they said, because we know that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. And this Jesus is from Galilee. So he can't be the Messiah because we know for sure the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. He's going to be a Judean. And this man, Jesus, is from Nazareth. He's from Galilee. And one of the great ironies of the book of John is, is that the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus as the Messiah because they thought he was born in the wrong place. Now, why did they do that? You know why they did that? Because they didn't look hard enough. They didn't read God's word seriously. They didn't even ask Jesus. All they had to do was to go to ask Jesus and say, Jesus, could you tell us where you were really born? All they did was take it, you know, he's a Galilean, he's been raised all of his life in Nazareth, he must have been born in Nazareth. And the Jewish idea was he couldn't be the Messiah because he was born in the wrong place. Brothers and sisters, you're going to go out this week and there's a whole lot of people that all they do is have a surface knowledge of this Jesus' incredible Savior. They think they know all about him. They think they know where he's from. They think they know what he says. They think they've got it all nailed down. You know, you believe this and I believe this and everything's going to be fine. I want you to use this time of the year to challenge your friends to take another look. Take another look. Because what we're going to discover next week is an incredible thing happened. That, As Micah predicted, he built on these salvation passages. In Micah 2, he promised there would be a forerunner that would go and break open the way. And John the Baptist came and broke open the way for Jesus. Micah promised that the great king that would come would be the Lord himself before his people. Emmanuel is the name of Jesus, and that means God is with us. 800 years before Christ, Micah was handing out the clues that if someone will investigate just a little bit more, if someone will read the text for themselves, if someone will open their heart to the truth that Jesus wants to reveal to them, then this incredible Lord of all the earth, the universal Lord, the sovereign Lord of all the earth, will cause the Messiah not just to be born in Bethlehem, but to be really born in your heart and mine. If Jesus is really born in our heart, then we can't be like Judge Watkins. We can't be a judge who takes bribes. Some of you are in leadership positions in government and politics. You know when I plead with you at this Christmas season, one of the greatest gifts you can give to Jesus is don't you ever take a bribe. Don't you ever judge a case because of the money that's involved. If you're in political arenas, you be a judge, a political person, a city council person that always builds on the truth, the true witness, no false witness, only truth, only integrity. You're right in the arena where the Lord wants you to be. Brothers and sisters, I want to know that every one of you that are working in retail, working in stores, working in malls this coming few days, you are Judas' representatives. Make sure that all your change is right. 
Make sure that the price is on things. If you're in leadership positions, make sure that the price is on things. It's fair. You say, Dave, that doesn't make a difference. Yes, it does. It makes a big difference. That's what Yahweh's really concerned about. He really cares about having fairness in economies, fairness in prices, fairness in balances. He really cares about that, and you need to care. And boy, I promise you that if you start allowing the Spirit of God to transform you because Jesus, the Bethlehem baby, is born in your life, and you really start having it reach the ethics of your business, then we're going to really be able to see tremendous numbers of people come to Jesus. And for myself as a preacher, the easiest thing in the world for me is just to tell you, man, God is good and God is cuddly and God is warm. You don't need to worry anything and God will never discipline you and God will never judge you. But man, when I open this book, I learn that my God, he is tender. He is a precious savior. But he's also a judge that does all things right. And boy, Jesus is coming to my heart to make me hate materialism, to make me hate immorality to make me hate unfairness, to make me hate immorality, all of those different things. And then he's been born into my life to give you and I the power so that we can go out now and live a transformed life. Read Micah. Think about it within the context so that Micah 5 doesn't just seem like an isolated verse, but you see it in the context of this incredible message. A transformed life. That's what people need to see in those of us who say we believe in Jesus. He came into the world to pay the penalty for our sin and to give us a brand new life. A life that at its heart would love the moral laws of the sovereign God and would obey them. Until our next encounter, I pray that each of us will allow the life of Jesus to express itself through us so that our unbelieving friends will see proof in our lives that He definitely is real and able to change hearts today.